Hello, I'm Christina Young, the founder of Gloucester Book Club. Welcome back to our podcast. Tonight, with my book club friends, we'll be discussing An Extra Pair of Hands, a story of caring, ageing and everyday acts of love, written by Kate Moss. I begin by thanking the reading agency and profile books for letting us have some copies of this before we had our podcast discussion this evening uh, it was a joy to unpack the box the, the jacket covers on this book is so beautiful um, and it was my pleasure to hand them out to my panel this evening so let's just see what they thought of it As our population ages, more and more people find themselves as carers for parents and loved ones. In the UK, there are nearly 9 million people who do caring. Um, They're an invisible army and they're holding families together. In her book, Kate tells us her personal story of finding herself as a carer in her middle age. First, she's helping her mother look after her beloved father who's got Parkinson's, And then, after her father dies, she supports her mother in her widowhood. And finally, as an extra pair of hands for her 90-year-old mother-in-law, Granny Rosie. It's a story about the gentle heroism of our carers, about small everyday acts of tenderness and finding joy in times of crisis. It's about juggling priorities, mind-numbing repetition, about guilt and powerlessness, about grief and the solace of nature. It's also about celebrating older people, about learning to live differently and think differently about ageing. But most of all, it's a story about love. Tonight on our book club discussion panel, I have with me Tony, Joe, Susie, Jackie and Lee. Welcome to you all. Here's Tony. I started the book expecting it to be something, thinking she's a bit privileged in a very nice version of this world. And um, by the end, I've changed my mind because I read more. I read the bit at the end. I think I understood what the book is. Mm. It's deep exploration it's her experience it's memoirs of her family it's a little bit of politics a little bit of you know rightly highlighting women's role in caring Mm -hmm. being dominating so there's lots of things touched on in the book and I don't think it's a book specifically about caring you know caring is a part of the memoir if you like of these three people I was really grateful to the opportunity to read this because I've seen caring from a distance. It's not something I've seen up close. So it was one of those book club gives me the opportunity to learn and understand a little bit more. So thank you, Christina, for the opportunity. (laughs) And so that I really got a lot out of it and I got what I hoped I'd get out of it. And I did. There were little bits which pulled my parents passing and bits and pieces. There were bits of it I found tough, bits of it that brought back lots of personal memories. But for me, 
it was and I've bought another of the books she mentioned in this book so in terms of me getting something out of it learning it definitely hit a lot of spots for me it gave me something yeah I was hoping broaden my horizons knowledge with reading the experiences so yeah really enjoyed it I've now bought another as I said book that she refers to in this one which book is that that you bought I've got it here I can see people could be interested in that one okay who's written that one Atul Gawandi she this is she mentions it later in the book says illness medicine and what matters in the end but yeah, as I said I in the book it talked about I, I, you know there were many and I kept dabbling into um, you know Google or oh, sorry not Google uh, Amazon books and having a little look and yeah. this is one you know it's yeah I won't read the blurb unless you want to I'll do it later but of the many books she referenced it yeah. made me to learn more and I picked one of those and it arrived today I understood the book a bit more by the end of it and appreciated it for what it was okay thanks Tony um Lee your thoughts I really thought for such a small book it packed in so much Mm. um I thought it was really impressive it was something I had to read in chunks I couldn't read it all in one go because I found it really emotional Um, And I needed time to kind of go away, reflect on what I'd read and take a bit of time to kind of inwardly digest and think about it a bit more. Um, It was quite interesting for me from a work point of view as well, because I now work with adult social services and commissioning within adults and all that side of things. And I've likewise, you know, I've never been a carer. Um, I've seen others caring, you know, but I know it from a distance. It's not something I've had personal experience of. Yeah. And I, I really felt it kind of opened my eyes to things mm. um, from both you know, the personal aspects that she was talking about in there, as well as some of the facts and figures that she was putting in there. And I thought it was quite a, a useful way to kind of approach the subjects in terms of those facts and figures, because on their own, they're a bit dry. Yes. But alongside those personal stories, oh. there's a lot that was brought to it that I thought was really, really interesting. And I quite like the way she mixed it up. And in my head, it was also a bit of her kind of being... The way she seemed to be was quite matter of fact about things. So it's, you know, here is the emotional stuff, here's the stuff, and then here's the matter of fact. It's yeah. just the way it is. We all have to get on with it. And I, I that was where it kind of seemed to me as if she was trying to add those bits into the book for that reason. And also to give that context, because she put, when she talked about it, she was talking a lot about other books she was read, writing yeah. herself in her day job kind of thing. And she talked then about doing the research and the facts and the figures. So it seemed natural that she was putting all that into this book as well. Yeah. And it was so personal and like really kind of hanging on to the end and you know, wanting things to, to turn out yeah. in a positive way as they possibly could do. So it was really good. Really enjoyed <laughs> it. I would probably go a nine out of ten, which is nine. very rare for me. Yes, it is rare for you. Yeah. Very yeah. rare for me. And I have recommended it to um, one of the people who runs our carers network at work and you know recommend it to him to have a look at and you know if you're trying to describe what life is like as a carer well here's a book a short book that people could go away have a look at and get an understanding from yeah yeah it's really good isn't it i loved it um i i thought it was extraordinarily tender moving account beautifully incredibly hopeful book as well i thought i gave it an eight out of ten i it took me 24 hours to read it i i was (laughs) 
I just couldn't put it down. I was really invested in reading it very quickly. Uh, Jackie, obviously, my sister's, you know, on panel tonight and has cared for my dad until he was 100. Um, and he lived with her. So there were lots of parallels here. I had my father-in-law live with me for um, 10 years before he died. And he also had Parkinson's. So there were a lot of things that I, you know, kind of recognised in this book. And one of the things that really stood out to me was what she was saying about the privilege it is to be able to care for somebody. You may not feel it at the time. You may feel very frustrated, angry, um, depressed and all of those things. But afterwards, when you reflect on it, you can see that it was a privilege that you were allowed to do that. And I, I certainly feel that about my father-in-law. And, and it, the thing she said was that it's not just about the caring that you do for them. It's about the friendship that you have with them. And I think looking back on Bill, if you remember, Bill was a member of book club for a few years. Remembering Bill, he was a really good character. He was a very intelligent guy. Um, he was always full of life. And, you know, when he when he went, I still look back these days and miss him a tremendous amount because we were such good friends, as well as me looking after him quite a lot towards the end. And that came out in this book. I think she talks about that with Granny Rosie, doesn't she, quite a lot about this friendship that there's, that's there and this mutual respect for her um, that they've got between them. And she says in some of the interviews that I've looked at online that the reason she wrote this book was because the Wellcome Trust actually asked her to write it. She was really unsure about whether to write it because this is such personal stuff, really. And she, you know, she said she'd never written a book like this before. Obviously, she's only ever written fiction. So she eventually thought, yeah, I, I could do it. I, I am able to do it. Um, you know, I will go for it. And, you know, just some of the statistics that she mentions, things like 13 million people in this country are unpaid carers. That's a heck of a lot of people, really, isn't it? We need to come to think about it. And a woman's got a 50-50 chance of being a carer by the time she's 59. That's pretty high, isn't it? So I know, Lee, you're saying I haven't had any you know, experience of doing this yet. Tony, you're saying I haven't had any experience. But the chances are that you will at some point do this. So I, I'm just going to read you this extract because this is the bit that spoke to me fairly, fairly near the start of the book, really. I didn't then realise how exceptional this quiet, ordered childhood was, how ordinary and how precious, knowing that I was loved. And because of those very many years of being loved unconditionally and supported unconditionally, that was what required some 35 years later would be possible and a privilege. This is not a how-to book for the 8.8 .8 million adults in the UK who find themselves carers nor a social analysis of the structures and inequalities of the UK care system, though there, there are common challenges. Everyone's experience is unique. My husband, our children, my sisters, my brother-in-law would write different stories of these same times and their roles as carers. Rather, it's a tribute to three extraordinary people, my father, my mother and my mother-in-law, and my own personal reflections about what it means to find oneself in middle age as an extra pair of hands. It's about the nature of memory, about celebrating older people and ageing, about gentle heroism, about invisibility, 
about family and history, about complexity, about trying and failing simultaneously, about the juggling of work deadlines, about unreliability, about exhaustion and never getting a full night's sleep, about the numbing repetition of everyday tasks, about grief, about patience, compassion and empathy, guilt and loss, about the right to die with dignity, about reciprocity, about our brilliant NHS, about learning to embrace a different pace of life, about our fading selves, about regret, about absence, about partnership, about liberation, about being lucky enough to be in a position to repay a lifetime of caring. But most of all, it's a story about love. And that kind of sums it up for me, but the whole book is about that. It, it's what comes through. I don't know if you guys agree. It's what comes through most in this book. I think you were saying, Jackie, is that she actually loved, really loved the people that she's caring for. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely a privilege to be able to be in that position. And it, it was and also it's the network that, that lies behind it. I like the way she explains about that she had the strength to care for her um, her father and then obviously her mother and a stepmother because of the support she had from the others as well in the family, you know, and that I think is really important because obviously she was taking a key role, but she said about her husband, um, he looked after me so I could look after my parents. Yeah. And also I could connect with what she was saying about her husband with Alan and my husband and how he has been sort of like very much a rock supporting all that way through. Um, so it isn't just about when when you're caring and, and the family, it's not just one carer, is it? It's, mm. it's everybody that's been part of that, you know, and, and the way that and also the sister Chris, you know, like she said, I could connect with that, you know, that, OK, the dad was living in. In, in our house but that didn't make it any less important that the sister's contribution into that as well and how important that network was and as you say it's very much about family love and support isn't it mm. that feeling that that that's hopefully what what we're going to be and although it is it is a privilege and not everybody can have the luxury of ha having moving a grandparent in yeah although in in some societies, in some nationalities, it's more common, you know, it doesn't matter even if granny takes over the main bedroom. I mean, there isn't a doubt, there isn't necessarily the downside to it. Not everybody can do it. Friends of mine who's had family with Alzheimer's mm. would have loved to be able to care for them in quite the same way couldn't you know they just physically couldn't have done it because of the situation. It's a very different ball game, isn't it? I think. Um, and you probably would would recognise that. I mean, I think caring for somebody with Alzheimer's dementia at home living with you is probably one of the most stressful things you could ever try. And it's probably not going to last very long, I think, as the person gets worse. Would you agree that being physically disabled or physically limited is very different from having someone live with you with dementia and Alzheimer's? Absolutely. You can get physical aids for the other things, can't you, and adaptations and things. But when someone's mind is degenerating, it, it's, it's emotionally incredibly hard. So we yeah. had experience, you know, obviously it wasn't the carer, but experience with family members who have just turned into a different person and gone from being a mild, nice natured person to someone who's then quite 
violent at times and has outbursts and physically still very big and therefore you couldn't look after them at home because it became dangerous situation so it is different and like you were saying Lee this book is about caring for people who remained the people they were and that's really different isn't it from caring for someone who you don't recognize as the person you loved and knew before I think that's probably true I mean do you think she's trying to with this book she's been asked to write it by the Wellcome Trust is she trying to push caring to the centre stage a bit more in our society? I think she is and it's probably the right time to do it because the amount of people who became carers during Covid and have taken that on at a time when you know there weren't as many other options available it's the right time to be talking about it. Because it's easy isn't it for care to get pushed to the margins I think of our lives really it's something that we're doing and mostly women are doing it but there are male carers as well looking after elderly relatives and their partners but you know it tends to be on the margins it's something that you're doing but nobody's noticing that you're doing yeah, it exactly mm. you're doing it without support and yeah if, particularly if the elderly parent or whoever it is has got dementia or, or is it developing dementia there's a sort of an, an inevitability about it that yeah. the caring for them at home in the end isn't going to be enough there is going to come a point where it just gets too much to cope with they're going to have to end up going into a home. If, if you're in a family where there's boys and girls, brothers and sisters, there might be very good reasons why the daughter is the, the better choice. But that doesn't mean that she doesn't need support from the other fair siblings. I mean, do you think, um, I mean, some people might flinch with horror, mightn't they, at the idea of having elderly parents or relatives live with them? Um, does that feel very true to anyone here tonight that that would you you couldn't feel that you could have your parents actually physically live with you I think it's also something about the practicalities they were she she said very lucky that they happened to have you know the annex kind of situation where they could put somebody in um you know we don't necessarily live that way you know, we've got enough bedrooms for the children that I have I don't have lots of spare space going so it's then a question of do you then move people like Jackie said into granny in the dining room or something like that what do you do yeah, um, yeah. We, we're not particularly set up for it um, and then you've got on top of that the emotional side of things mm. and is that something you can actually do you know that's very much going to have to be a personal choice for people mm. what do you yeah. think Tony would you see yourself doing this in the future do you have elderly parents Parents have both passed, but uh, they're not a blood relative or they're, I think, again, go back to Lee's comment, the book, there's so much in it. You know, it talks about sometimes strangers, you know, being cared for and caring, there's that relationship. And if you're doing it for the reasons you're doing it, Mm. because you could be doing it begrudgingly, which is probably bad for both parties, or you can be doing it for all the positive reasons, many of which are in this book. But she recognises, you know, there are many, one size doesn't fit all. What about you, Susie? Have you and it's, you know, thinking forward, going forward in life, is there anyone that you could see yourself having to do this for? Uh, I've already done it. Um, You've done it? Okay. Was this um, was this a close relative, um, your mum? Your mum, yeah. Um, yeah. Had I had the right setup? as in even one spare room yeah you know I, I would have had a 
live in Luke, but as it was me and two of my sisters, we we just you know we looked after her, but she was in her own house. Mm. Yeah. Um, Undoubtedly, are people out there doing the caring job who are finding it extremely difficult and are doing it resentfully and begrudgingly. Mm. Um, and really, it's those people that need the support and help, isn't it? It's not like people like Kate Moss, who clearly got lots of money and space and support, and she gets on well with her relatives. She's, she's got it okay. But it must be millions of people out there who haven't got that. And I think that's why we have really got to a crisis point in this country now, where we need to sort out the social care stuff. The worst thing is the children who have to do it. That's absolutely, they shouldn't have to. There are about 8,000 child carers in this country, you know, children under the age of 18 who are caring. I think there's more than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure there are, Susie. I wouldn't be surprised there's, if there are more than that. Young carers networks and things, but, you know. Yeah, so that's probably a vast underestimation, 8,000, yeah. but... But we do need, to, I think you probably all agree, we need to sort out the social care because many people as well don't have anyone to care for them. You know, they don't have any family who will come in and help them out. Um, and they're completely reliant on help from social services, aren't they, Lee? I think the book, for me, told me that she, she demonstrated quite well how elderly people can be elderly but still fully human. You know, she was talking quite a lot in, a, in a, an interview I saw about how we kind of, um, we're not very good, at, we're quite an ageist society, you know, here in the UK. We don't really value people when they're old. And at the end, we've already acknowledged it's much more of a challenge with dementia. But we do know of other cultures, don't we, across the world who, particularly Chinese and Indian cultures, who really do um, respect and venerate their elderly people and perhaps we don't do that here as well just on that just a line she talks about an iranian doctor at one stage yeah. and there's a lovely phrase i hope i'm getting it right this elderly doctor described i think it was her mother as rich in years yeah that was it three words and i just thought what a beautiful phrase there's a doctor in the hospital that was caring for her mother dying at the time and she said to her, she's rich in years, your mother, tell me about her. And uh, that made me feel, oh, you know, because the doctor had obviously recognised this, this was a, this had, this is a woman who had, he was still fully a human being, you know, she was just older. So. And I thought there were cultural, how people view the elderly, going back to your previous point, mm. and in our culture, maybe not, but there are yeah. cultures within us, within our country, that do value it you know and, and I think that was a lovely example which demonstrates that difference yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah I think with my nan I wish you know I wish I'd written down more of the stories that she used to tell and the things that she used to talk about mm. um because you, you don't remember it all and you remember little snippets and you know, when me and my sister and my mum will talk about it we all remember it slightly differently it's like well if we'd have written it down at the time and you, you're never going to get that back are you yeah. that ability to find all that history I and mean, my kids never knew them really so they'll they will miss all that and like she was saying in her book as well that you know her record of what had gone on will be very different from her brothers and sisters we all have our own kind of remembrances of it one of the bits i thought she did really well was talking about the kind of 
frailty of getting older, how, you know, just knocking your shin then becomes, you know, this many visits to the hospital and, and all those bits. I thought she portrayed that bit really, really well and really heartfelt. Why do you think care isn't valued as it should be? Why is, why is it on the margins, do you think? It's all about wiping old ladies' bottoms and people don't like to talk about that. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, do you think politicians don't think it's a game changer for the electorate? So it never gets to the top of the list of things to change? No, I think if they, if they recognised it for what it was, they would have to pay a lot more money. So they're very invested in dumbing it down. So they don't have to pay the amount of money that it should be paid. And would you say that because most unpaid carers tend to be women and most paid carers are also women, if you have policymakers who make absolutely no idea, who have absolutely no idea what it means to care for somebody, they don't understand what it means to be a carer, um, you know, it's not surprising then that they're not really putting social care at the top of the agenda as something that really needs to be tackled in this country. I think it's always getting pushed. I mean, there was that Dilnot report, which came out in 2010, which said, oh, we must do something, you know, about social care. We, we keep kicking this can down the road all the time, don't we? we? We've never really tackled it. And here we are in 2021, which is 11 years after the Dilnot report. And we still, we're still not really tackling the social care problems. And we're just getting older as a group of people as well. I mean, COVID may have changed that particular picture, but we are an ageing demographic as a country um, and people are living older and longer. And again, that dementia factor, when you get over the age of 80, becomes an even bigger factor and more people live over the age of 80 now. Absolutely. And you could say, Lee, that that is a tremendous success of the NHS. It absolutely is. <laughs> yeah. Because we're managing to keep people alive for longer. Um, and we should be celebrating that in lots of ways and things. And it's wonderful that we, you know, we've got a lot more elderly people in, you know, keeping them alive and they're fitter and more well than they would have been 50 years ago. But we're, we're not recognising that if you're going to have an elderly population like that, that you've also got to put a tremendous amount of resources into looking after them and their social care. And um, it's really hard to recruit people to do care. Yeah. Really hard to get people into care roles. But thinking about social care and whether, you know, it's a policy making issue and something that we need to, need to it's not a sexy issue to deal with, is it, in politics? No. At all, this one. Do you think that's also because we, none of us really want to admit that we're mortal and that it's going to potentially happen to us at some point? That's a hard thing for any of us to think about. Do you think in the in the pandemic, though, looking back to, to lockdown, in the pandemic, because there does seem to be this disconnect between Captain Tom, who was doing his wonderful walking up and down and getting millions of pounds sponsorship and versus the herd immunity because there we have there we have this hundred year old man doing this stuff you know and everybody was thinking that that was absolutely wonderful but at the same time there did seem to be this subliminal message coming through which was actually you know we can do without all these really really old people and if you've lived a nice long innings maybe your, your death doesn't matter as much well let's face it it does then save the government money yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, if I'm being very cynical, I think there is a there was reason behind it, particularly when you looked at things like um, like people with Downs weren't mm. getting the vaccine, which I didn't realise, you know, in my head, you know, they were of an age, they weren't getting it. Really, that was a really shocking moment for me that, that you were basically saying these people were dispensable. It almost seems like, yeah, it's survival of the fittest. 
when you get past a certain age, you're no longer fit, so you might as well, you know. And there was this drip feed of all older people are a bit of a burden and, you know, we should just let them go. The younger society will be fine, which kind of completely takes away from the fact that older people have got, are still the same people, it's mm. just they might not be able to walk or they mm. might, you know, they might have other problems. But inside their heads, mostly if they haven't got dementia, they're still the same people, aren't they? Mm. Do we need to switch the narrative around in this country a bit more and say, actually, our elderly people should be more valued, much more valued than they are? I think we do. I think that's also part of that whole thing of, you know, as people get older, they're supposed to have plastic surgery to iron out the wrinkles. You're not, you're not supposed to have, you know, the, you know, these issues. You're supposed to just cover them up and hide them and dye the grey out and all that side of things. You know, yeah. we just don't like getting old in this country. I think that's probably quite a Western thing, not just this country. So, I mean, there's, what she was talking about in the book is reciprocity. She used that word quite a lot. So the reciprocal, you know, you care for someone, but you also get something back. And I think I think you mentioned that, haven't you? Um, she also said at one point, never let things a person can't do become more important than the things they can. I mean, that doesn't just apply to elderly people does it it applies to people with physical disabilities you know mental health problems all kinds of limitations that people have it also applies like in a work context you know why we constantly try and make people something they're not you know if you're, if you're not good at that bit why don't we give that bit that someone else is good at to them and then you, yeah. you pick up a different bit we we tend to kind of keep pushing people down the path of you've got to be good at everything she was also saying that sometimes the most important thing that you can do is just be present with people. You know, like when elderly people really are getting to the end of the road and they know they are and they want to express that. They want to say, I think I've had enough. I think my body is I'm really in a lot of pain. I've had enough now. Um, she said it was really difficult for her to allow those kind of negative emotions to be expressed, really, because she was she's very much a glass half full person so she's very kind of busy and bubbly all the time but she had to learn to let them say you know I really hate this I'm in such a lot of pain and, and not trying to talk them out of it mm -hmm. I mean would you agree that that's that's quite a hard thing to do but probably it's a good idea it's impossible to do if, it, if they're still if they've still got their mental faculties allowing people to feel that they've had enough now and to be able to say it to you must be really yeah. important you know it's it's, it's uncomfortable for us mm. to hear it it should be something we, we're more open to having conversations about because yeah. it's the one inevitable in life so yeah. why aren't we having more conversations about it and you know what we do want what we don't want you know, how many people do you hear about who end up in hospital who are dying and no one's had the conversation about organ donation or do you want a DNR and all those kind of conversations? We should be having those conversations with each other because yeah. they're really important life conversations to have. Yeah. Some people can't cope with that conversation, though, I think. But I mean, I think well, I'm thinking of the case where people are saying, you know, that they've had enough and, you know, they're in too much pain and they just, you know, it's all too much for them. When they are expressing that, I, I think it's a good thing not to try and talk them out of it. It does talk about there are many old people out there on their own without yeah. carers. Their life is being extended through drugs, through chemotherapy, through whatever else. 
Mm. Have they got quality of life? That book and the reason, as I said, this book's introduced me to the subject and I want to know more. And and book is really, I think, exploring the idea of how we've approached ageing medically versus looking at it the other way, philosophically or otherwise, that our thinking is probably flawed. That's that, and I look forward to reading it. Could be a good book club book, Christina. I'll let you know. Is the is the measure of a society how we treat our most vulnerable? Very much so. I'm gonna go no. And 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 I'll I'll cite the example given in the book because it talks about the NHS and I think you know the people in the book spanned before and after the NHS mm. and it you know she gave a couple of little examples of it wasn't all families happy families and everybody caring before the NHS was there to provide that you know there were people who didn't want to care but had to you know they talked about an old man going around four kids quarter of the year not having their own possessions that's a if that's a different era some people think a better era where people cared for their parents and grandparents but the reality of that is not probably the uh you know the rosy painted picture of the grass was greener in the past and we were more caring, we were more bits and pieces, hence my no comment. Mm. I don't, yeah, yeah. What about somebody who said yes to that, though? Is the measure of the society how we treat our most vulnerable? I, well, I, I, I think as a society, if you're an idealist, you want your society to care for the most vulnerable because they're the least ones that can care for themselves. Yeah, don't want a society that's constantly it's all out for, as you say, the strongest, fittest, the people. You know, you want a society that actually cares Hmm. and bothers about that. I don't really, you know, if I was an idealist, I'd I'd really want that and pay for it if necessary. You know, that's part of what we do in terms of taxes, isn't it? I agree with you completely. I think when when we care for the most vulnerable and the weakest, it's a kind of proxy caring for ourselves. We're giving to them what we want when we get old and near death and decrepit and can't care for ourselves anymore. It's almost an insurance policy or an emotional insurance policy that we, we do for them what we can when they're in that condition in the hope that somebody will do that for us. It's a kind of a deal, isn't it? And going back to my no, it doesn't mean it's what I wish for. It's, <laughs> it's the reality of the situation and it's down to individuals. We, need to, we do need the NHS and we do need a care system and we do need the support mechanisms that we've got there for the different ages. Yeah, at the top of that, we should put the most vulnerable, you know, if those yeah. are the people that need it the most. Yeah, if we do it through the state, through the welfare state, we get round the problem of the fact that there are certain people who won't care for their elderly relatives yeah. and just want them out of the way, basically. You know, those people that don't yeah. have anybody, you know, this are, so you do need a safety net there, don't you? For yeah, so we have to do it in a corporate way. Yes. Something like the welfare state and properly funded by taxation. Yes. So the, the idea that we can pay carers eight or nine pounds an hour, whatever, to what is ridiculous. 
absolutely ridiculous. We, we've got to pay them a decent wage for what they do, train them properly, make it a respectable um, occupation. We also expect them to, you know, provide medication. We expect them to be able to move and handle them in a particular way that's not going to break their legs, to deal yeah. with the yeah. emotion issues and the anger and the mobility and and socialise them and you know keep their brains active and do all that. It's, that's not an unskilled job. Because I think what well, I think what we're talking about, and I I kind of feel that we're on the same page in what good would look like but when it comes down to the reality of it the recent national insurance increase mm -hmm. you know that's going on suppose i don't even trust our government that it is going to go to pay for care yeah isn't it that social care a proper good functioning social care system in this country is never going to be cheap so you know until we can find some way of that being paid for either through taxation or whatever means it's always going to be falling short, I think, and it has done for many, many years, hasn't it, the care system in this country? Hopefully we're in an age where, you know, the age of the population, the mm. percentage of pastors elderly, it's higher than it's ever been. Yeah. And I think we've not reached its peak. At some point, and it's here and now, I think, it's not some point in the future, it's now. The whole system has got to be looked at. Mm. properly looked at not just paid lip service to and then we pass on for another few years and we still have problems and I mean obviously things like pandemics are going to really throw the focus on on that as well aren't they because more people are going to require looking after what what's your what's your feelings about the book now after the discussion Jackie what's yours oh same really as when we started um I really enjoyed it um, I found it a very easy read. I think it was something that, you know, it flowed quite nicely. And I liked the fact that it had facts in there as well as the um, memoirs. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I would I would recommend it. Joe? Uh, yeah, great book. I enjoyed reading it. I'm glad we, we got our free copies and had the opportunity to read it. For all the reasons that I said before, I loved it. I'm intrigued by Tony's... Um, the book he's gone on to buy, the idea of being mortal, that whole subject matter of our mortality and the fact that we are going to die and coming to terms with the fact that we're going to die and everything that happens on the way to that, that obsesses me. You yeah. might be buying the book by the sounds of it, Joe. Yeah, well, I've got to have a look at it anyway. Yeah, being mortal, it's called. Tony, any thoughts now at the end of the discussion? It was... I'll repeat my thanks, Christina. You know, yes, mm -hmm. someone passed the, but that's because you do what you do um, with support from Joe and others. And this is absolutely why I joined Book Club. Mm -hmm. It is something you just would not pick up. It's, mm -hmm. I'm so pleased that I've read it. And as I said, of the many books she refers to and gives references to, it's opened a door to a subject I want to know more about. So for yeah. what I from Book Club and I think other people, you know, one of your standing questions, would you recommend it? I've already yeah. got a queue of people who want to read this particular book. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, and as I said, I'm going on to do further reading. I've chosen one of many books she refers to. I did look at others yeah. and that was the one that piqued my interest. And um, yeah, so everything about reading this book has been a pleasure. And yeah, more of the same, please, Christina.
Okay, let's see if I can find you some more, Tony. <laughs> what about you, Lee? Sticking with my nine, and absolutely agree with what Tony said, I joined book club to read different things. I'd never have picked this up. And I think one of the things I have got from book club is I've read so many things about kind of equality issues. I feel like I, I tick a lot of things in terms of, you know, you don't always have to go on a course, keep telling yeah. people to learn about equality stuff. And this is another example where I've learned about an equality issue as far as I'm concerned from a completely different perspective. Mm. And I've, I've, I've felt so much emotionally from it, I, you know, nostalgic, it's made me think, it's piqued my interest. Um, so yeah, got a, got a real a lot from this book, and you know, like I say, already recommended it. So, and we'll continue yeah. to do so. You did a good job with it, I think. You know, um, given that you know she wasn't sure about writing it in the first place, um, whether she should or not, and she, I think she ran it past a lot of the stuff about Granny Rosie. She she ran past Granny Rosie before she put it in there and said, "Is this okay for me to include this stuff about you, or should I leave this out?" And you know, Granny Rosie was very much like, "No, put it in." You know, I, I've got nothing to hide. I'm fine about it all. I was going to describe the book as a front door into the subject, a really good front door. Yes. You know, go back to your comment, Lee. There's an awful lot in there, and it piques your interest. It makes you think, and it makes you want to know more. So yeah. I don't think is particularly heavy particularly deep i think it's a fantastic entry to the subject i mentioned the figure of 8000 for young carers in this country that was incorrect it should be 800000 Thank you so much for listening to our podcast this evening. We're truly grateful to have you as followers. If you'd like to listen, you can catch us again on Anchor FM, Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify and many more.